tonight is on the word grace. And of course, that's what we've been studying over the last week, if you've been following along. And grace is one of those lessons that I thought, oh, this will be a, an easy lesson. And I realized that it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. Um, after I got to studying it, I realized how much was involved in such a lesson. Uh, the word grace itself has many different meanings. If I can ever figure out how to get my pitch pipe off of here, we'll be in good shape. There we go. Alright. <laughs> the word grace has different meanings. I wanted to start our lesson tonight by going through each of the meanings involved with the word grace. First of all, we talked about, this is actually the conclusion of a portion of of our study and uh, there are five lessons in this portion of it and it will switch to a, a different subject as we go into the next one um, but grace in regard to wrath wrath was the word that we had for last week and wrath was a, a difficult lesson also but grace in regard to wrath we left off last week discussing the wrath of God against those who practice evil those who do not believe him John chapter 3 and verse 36 says this, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. For those willing to obey him, God provided a way to salvation through his Son. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. When we were without hope, God offered us, through the death of His Son, mercy and grace. Now, there are differences between mercy and grace, though we often uh, put the two together, and they sort of belong together. They're, they're almost one and the same, but they are different. Mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. In other words, when it comes to mercy, it's well described as not giving what is deserved. When it comes to us and mercy that comes from God, we understand that we are offered mercy and that we do not receive what we deserve. And he could have left it there. But certainly punishment for our sins, example, the punishment of Christ, his torture and his crucifixion, the things that he went through, he went through so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could be granted mercy. Now grace is defined differently. Grace is defined as the free and the unmerited favor of God. 
as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. In other words, when it comes to grace, as opposed to mercy, which does not give us what we deserve, grace gives us much more than we deserve. It gives us what we don't deserve. God's favor, His blessing in our lives, and ultimately a heavenly reward and an eternity with Him. Those are things that are offered through grace and not necessarily mercy. Another word that is very similar to grace that we find often in Scripture, and if you went through the, the studies this week, uh, you saw that as well. The words favor and grace are used similarly in Scripture, but their meanings are not exactly the same. Uh, we've already talked about grace. Um, grace is also defined as to do honor or credit to someone or something by one's presence. And biblically this is most relevant to an act of goodwill. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 4, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. The, the uh, definition that we looked at a moment ago, the free and unmerited favor of God, as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings, grace is most often used in reference to the grace of God or Christ. Psalm 84 Verse 11, for example. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. In John 1 and verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Favor is a little different. Favor is defined in two different ways. One is the approval, support, or liking for someone or something. It is also defined as an act of kindness beyond what is due or usual. In Genesis 33 and verse 8, it says, Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And Jacob said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. And of course, the word favor is used in that instance. It may also be used as a verb, uh, the word favor, in order to favor someone. So these words are used differently in Scripture, although they are very similar, uh, but they are used differently. When using either grace or favor, the context determines which meaning is the most appropriate to the passage. A good example of meaning and usage in regard to favor and grace, and this is the only time that they are used together in the same verse, is in Esther chapter 2 and verse 17. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. 
Ahasuerus granted Esther something that she did not deserve by offering her the queen's crown. And in this use, the word grace was used for that. And she also found favor as an approval and support in his sight. So we see that this is the only time in Scripture that these two words are used together, but it shows appropriately their different meanings. Now as I thought about how to do this lesson, I had the challenge of how to present all the different forms of grace in one lesson. I decided that that was not to be done in, in a very good effort. So what I decided to do is to focus our attention on grace in the way that we commonly understand it. As I mentioned before, the most common meaning of grace and the most common form that we are familiar with when we use the word grace is in reference to the grace of God, the grace that comes through Christ. So I want to focus our attention tonight on grace in Christ. When we look at Scripture, as we look at how grace is granted to us, one of the first things that we have to understand is that all have sinned. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Let's begin with verses 9 through 18. Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As people looked at the Gentiles, especially the Jews, when they looked at the Gentiles, they saw a heathen people. They saw a people that were without God. And one of the things mentioned here is that all were under sin. Not just the Gentiles, but the Jews as well. All have sinned. And when it comes to us even, it doesn't matter what race or nationality that we are. One of the first things that we have to understand in order to receive grace is that we also have sinned. That we are all under sin. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Because all have sinned, all are in need of grace. We are all in need of God's grace. And we understand through Scripture that we are also offered grace through 
God's Son. Verses 21 through 26, we read this. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. Again, we're reminded of the subject of what is being said here. Uh, Jews and Greeks and the view that, that one is better than the other. But grace is not offered just to the Jews and it's not offered just to a certain people even today. But it is to all and on all who believe. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace. Justified. The, the one meaning of justification that I've heard that has always stuck with me, just as if I'd never, never sinned. And we are freely justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All have sinned. We've all found ourselves in a position where we are not quite to the glory of Christ. Where we fall short of the glory of God. And because we fall short of Him, because of our sins, we are in need of justification. And we are offered justification by the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. We are saved through faith in Christ, which leads also to our obedience. I think of examples and those that are mentioned actually in the New Testament as good examples of faith. Noah and Abraham were not shown grace until they faithfully did what God wanted them to do. They had to remain faithful to what God had told them. And when they did what God had told them, they showed their faith. And we are not shown grace until we obey the gospel. When it comes to Christianity, it doesn't matter how much you believe that God exists. If you're not willing to obey, you cannot receive His mercy and grace. And so it doesn't come until we are obedient to Him, until we are obedient to the plan of salvation. We also understand from Scripture that all who have sinned 
are saved by grace through faith. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and let's notice verses 1 through 13. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All who have sinned are dead in their trespasses. But through Christ, we are offered life once again. Even if we have sinned and, and have not obeyed the gospel, we are offered salvation. We are offered God's grace. And through His grace, we are made alive again. When we obey the gospel by faith, repenting of our sins, confessing Christ, being baptized for the mission of sins, when we go down into that water, we, we have already died. When we go down into the water, it also represents the burial of Christ. And when we come up, as we often say, we are raised to all in the newness of life. We are given life once again, a different life than what we already had. We are changed. And we are to be different. When we realize the state that we're in, we are living in sin. When we realize that we are dead, we understand that God offers us life through Him. 
through the blood of Christ. He offers us life. And people often use this passage out of context and say that it means something that it does not. Though we are not saved through works of merit, there's nothing that I can do to earn salvation. We are saved in doing works of obedience. Turn with me for a moment to James chapter 2. Let's notice what is said in verses 14 through 26. James chapter 2 and beginning with verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? That's also faith by itself. If it does not have works, is dead. Now is this a contradiction to what we've already read? Where we understand from Ephesians that, that we are not saved by works, but by grace. It's a gift that is freely given of God. Is this a contradiction? No, it's not. Because again, there is a difference between works that earn salvation. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. But there are certain works that are required in living a faithful life for God it begins with obedience to His Word. Faith by itself is just that. It's just faith. It's just belief. And faith without works of obedience is dead. There must be works involved with our faith. In verse 18 of James chapter 2, But someone will say, You have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. If we could be saved by faith alone, the demons would also be saved. And that's not the case. They believe and they tremble. But yet they are not saved. In verse 20, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Do you want to, to know that? Do you want to believe it? Do you want to accept it? Verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar and the scripture was fulfilled which said, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. What if Abraham had only believed in God? And what if God had told him to sacrifice his son and, and he said, well, you know, I believe but I'm not willing to go that far. Would he have been justified at the sight of God? It wasn't until he acted out what God told him to do that he was justified. It wasn't by faith alone. But faith also required him to do what God told him to do. 
Verse 25, Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. We've been to funerals. We've seen bodies that are dead. Bodies that are without the Spirit. And just as much as they are dead, so we also are dead if we only have faith. But we have no works. Again, it's not works of merit that save us. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's grace. But it is given to us. And God has told us His will. And we are required to obey. See, without obedience to God, our faith means nothing. Our faith in Him is dead. Because of God's grace, we may find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It says here that we may come boldly before the throne of grace uh, with confidence, I believe, is how Joe read from the New American Standard. And we may come boldly to the throne of grace. The throne of God and Christ. As it is through Him that we find grace. And in seeking grace, we find it in God sufficiently as needed. It is through Christ, through His sacrifice, that we are able to do this. That we are able to come before His throne and find the grace that we need. Let's look now at grace pointing to salvation. Another place that we find grace in the Old Testament is in the story of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, it says this, And the Lord, Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace in this context is mostly in regard to the favor of God toward Noah. Because Noah was favored, God instructed him to build an ark. And because of his faith and obedience, Noah and his family were saved from the wickedness that surrounded them. And what if Noah hadn't built the ark? His faith wouldn't have been evidenced. There were no works that would be involved and his faith would be considered dead. But he was obedient to God. And we see that he and his family were saved from the wickedness that surrounded them. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18-22, through 22, we read this in regard to Noah. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Again, we see that contrast between death and life. Verse 19, By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There's also an antitype, or a like figure, as the King James puts it, which now saves us. Baptism. And it goes on to qualify baptism. It's not the removal of the filth of the flesh. It's not like taking a bath or washing our hands. But the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him, Noah was also offered grace through salvation. Noah was told to build an ark, and he did. Going back to Genesis chapter 6, we read this in verses 13 and following. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And skipping to verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten. And you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Verse 22. One of my favorite verses in Scripture. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him. So he did. By faithfully doing what God told him to do, he was saved from the wickedness of the world through water. 
we might have the misconception in reading the Genesis account that Noah was saved from the water by building the ark. And he was saved from the, the flood waters that came and destroyed the rest of the world. But we're told in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 that he wasn't saved from the water, but he was saved through the water. What was he saved from? The generation that was around him threatened his relationship with God. The evil that had taken over so many people could also have taken over Noah if he wasn't careful and his family. But God cleansed the world through a flood. And he told Noah what he needed to do in order to be saved. The water was coming to cleanse the world. He did what he was supposed to do. And so he was saved through water. Now, going back to what is said in 1 Peter chapter 3, we understand that when we faithfully obey the gospel, that we are also saved from our sins through the waters of baptism. And we have a baptistry. Lights aren't on, but we have a baptistry. And in that baptistry, there's water. I'm, I'm thinking there's, there must be water in there. And if someone were in need of baptism tonight, and we were to take them into the water, and we were to baptize them, as according to God's plan of salvation, there's nothing special about the water. It's water. The only thing special about the water is that we use it to help them obey the gospel. It's when we obey the gospel by faith and we truly believe within our heart that we're doing this for the right reason, for the remission of our sins. When we are baptized, when we are taken down into that water and we are raised up, we come in contact with the blood of Christ through our obedience to the command we baptized in water. Again, it's nothing special about the water itself, but it's special that we obey the command of God. And so, we are saved through water. We are told very clearly throughout Scripture what we need to do to be saved. And 1 Peter chapter 3 is a, a good example of, of what baptism is. And it's a good example of what we need to do to be saved. Understand grace does come through obedience, but only through full obedience to the gospel. And included in that is repentance confession of faith in Christ and baptism for the remission of sins. When asked what they must do on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter answered them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. They were to be baptized, but there wasn't anything special about the water except they were using it for baptism so that they could obey the gospel. They were saved through water.
And so we are saved in the same way. But it doesn't end there quickly because we are also told that we must continue lives of faithfulness. And so we come to the point in our lesson where we offer the plan of salvation. For anyone who's in need of responding to it, we offer it to you. If you need to respond in obedience, then we give you the opportunity to do that. If you need to be baptized for the mission of your sins, you have the opportunity to do that. And you can be granted the, the grace and mercy of God. Grace that, that grants us what we do not deserve. We don't, by any stretch of the imagination, deserve salvation. It's not something that is uh, something that, that we should expect except that God gave it to us. It is freely given to us, God's grace. The only way to receive God's grace is through obedience to the gospel. And if you are in need of, of coming back, if you're in need of returning, rededicating your life to Him, asking for prayer, or if there's some something else that we can do to help you. And we give you the opportunity, as we always do. We ask you to please respond. As together we stand, and as we sing.